The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. We teach a lot of songs to our kids when they're young. And some of the songs that we teach our kids are just a little strange, aren't they? One of the songs we were taught as a kid is the song that you sing in a round. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. There you go. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. We make our progress through life slow and steady. Gently down the stream. What a picture of life. All the while happy. Merrily, 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 merrily. We don't realize how much we lie to our kids in the songs that we teach them, right? Row, row, row your boat is a song of what we want life to be like, right? But is that reality? Is life gentle? Does all our rowing really lead us slowly down the stream? Or do we feel like we're making little, if any, progress sometimes in life? Is your life the life you always dreamed of right now? Is it? Probably not. Everything going merrily, 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 merrily right now? Probably not. Probably a more truth-telling nursery rhyme that we taught our kids was Ring Around the Rosie. Which was actually about, if you don't know, it was about the Black Plague. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Where the ring around the rose was the ring around the rose-colored skin. That was the first sign of infection. And it ends with ashes, ashes, ashes as we all fall down, marking the shocking death toll of casualties which were being sent to the crematoriums in order to avoid the spread of the disease. This week, many pictures found their way from the streets of crowded India to our phone's newsfeed. Pictures of crematoriums and ashes, 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 as many are falling down from the ravaging of COVID-19 on an understaffed and an under-equipped healthcare system in India. Teaching the kids of Mumbai the song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat, right now would be cruel, Right? If we're honest followers of Jesus, life is not always merrily, 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 merrily going along. We do believe that Jesus has conquered sin and death. We believe that Jesus is the maker of heaven and earth and that Jesus will remake heaven and earth into a perfect paradise. We believe that. But the more that we row in this life, the more that we come upon resistance and the winds of hard opposition come against us and shake our boat to and fro. They say things like, your God is just a delusion. The Bible is irrelevant. And Jesus, last I checked, is nowhere to be seen in India. What kind of good God lets things go so wrong? So we, as Christ followers, we just begin to panic. We as humanity begin to panic. And so what do we do when we start panicking? 
at the winds that are blowing against us. We form human solutions. Row even harder. What we need is a government that will make things right for us. What we need is a $4 trillion plan to save our world. What we need is a vaccine which will bring peace and order once again to a disconnected and a disordered world. What we need is to put justice into the hands of people to right all of the discrimination and violent wrongs. Row, row, row this boat on a right course and do it with what is right in our own eyes. But it doesn't seem to be changing The winds just seem to be getting worse. Because what we need is not to row harder. What we need is one who is over the water. What we need is one who is over the wind. What we need is to let Jesus in the boat. A reading from the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and Jesus was alone on the land And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking upon the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, And moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, We're made well. This is God's word. It's true. Mark, who writes this gospel, was writing to the early church. The first and second generations of Christians who are experiencing the harsh realities of row, row, row the boat. That it's not easy to be a fisherman or a follower of Jesus. That most people are against them. That even the emperor of the day, Nero, wants them not only dead, 
Christians, but also Christians made an example by making sport of them in the Colosseum or lighting up their bodies as garden torches. And Mark was probably written as dictated by the mouth of Peter, who was about to face execution for his own following of Jesus. And so this gospel, the gospel of Mark, has been written to encourage the sad of soul, to energize the weak of heart, and to calm the anxious mind as Christians are rowing, rowing, rowing their boat. And so how do Mark and how does Peter do this? By showing them Jesus. By reminding them of who Jesus is. A glorious God in a broken body. The more we see Jesus as the glorious God in a broken body, the more we, his faithful rowing followers, are willing to be broken ourselves. Why? Because with Jesus, the glorious God in a broken body, we can trust that we're safe and we're saved. With Jesus, the glorious God in a broken body, we can trust that we are safe and we are saved. There's three scenes in this passage which reveal to us Jesus as a glorious God in a broken body. What does a glorious God in a broken body look like? Would we recognize him if we saw him? Because the more we're able to recognize Jesus, the more likely we are to trust him that we're safe and saved. So what does he look like? First scene, verses 45 to 48. We see a king whose heart breaks for his broken people. The first verse, verse 45, you see Jesus pushing the disciples to get in the boat. He's just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And now he's pushing the disciples urgently, get on the boat, get on the boat, get on the boat. He's compelling them. And it sounds almost like in the Greek, like they don't want to get on the boat. They're like, this is amazing. Get on the boat. Quick, get on the boat. What's going on? Why is Jesus so compelled to push them on the boat? Get out of here, guys. Go home. Go to Bethsaida. Quick. What's urgently going on here? Well, the Gospel of Luke tells us the crowds are starting to make Jesus their king. Whoa, the prophet has arrived. Let's make something happen. Let's make him king. And Jesus looks over at his 12 and he sees them going, yeah, yeah, let's do this. This is a Rome. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Get in the boat. Get in the boat, guys. Get in the boat. Go home. Because what's going on here with broken people? When they're fed and see a miracle found in Jesus. What's going on? People, broken people are doing what broken people do best. They're forming a self-will. Oh, we're going to do things our way now. We're going to make Jesus our king. This is the perfect solution. Jesus sends us this. Nope, nope. Get the disciples away. And he shoes away the riotous crowd. And where does he go? He goes to a desolate, lonely, and dark place to pray. 
There are three accounts in the Gospels when Jesus prays. And the scene of Jesus praying is always the same. It's dark, it's nighttime, it's lonely, and it's desolate. Because Jesus, as a human being, knows the pull of self-will, of wanting it our way. But Jesus, as a perfect God, needs that time to pray and say, not my way, your way of doing things. Three times in his mission, he withdraws to a quiet place to say, thy will, not my will be done. Jesus knows he is going to have to be broken in order to save this broken people. And he knows that's going to be painful and agonizing and hard. Jesus knows that feeding these people with physical bread is not enough to help them. They need something far more substantial, far more lasting. They need a broken, perfect body for a broken, sinful people. And so Jesus heads up to the mountain, a picture of a place where you would go to be with God, like Moses who went up to the mountain to be with God, to be reminded and encouraged by his Father. The cross is the only way, Jesus. The cross is the only way. Like the Mandalorian mantra, Jesus hears from the Father, this is the way. This is the way. And the Father ends Jesus' time in agonizing thy will be done prayer by lifting up his head with a picture to motivate him to do what he's called to do. What does he see? Jesus, on top of this mountain, looks down from his kingly perch on a moonlit night and sees the disciples, in verse 48, being harassed by the wind. He sees his friends trying so hard to fight the wind. They can't do it. They're striving. They're straining. They're going to die doing it on their own. They can't do it. And the king, his heart breaks for these broken people. His compassion is kicked in. The king has mercy He can't leave them there to be capsized and killed. He must go down. He must make his way to them. He must intercede. He loves us too much to stay away from us or protect himself. So as Jesus moves down from the mountain, he's saying, this is the way. Thy will be done. I'm going down to help them. Parents, do you ever have that opportunity when your kids can't see you, you're watching them, but they don't know you're there, to just sit and watch your child try to do something they can't clearly do themselves. Maybe it's little ones, they're trying to reach for something on the shelf and they're just not tall enough. Maybe it's trying to tie their shoes. Maybe it's trying to just be good and love your siblings and they can't do it. And you watch as they get frustrated with each other and themselves. You watch as they try harder and harder with what you're asking them to do, but still to no end. And as a parent who loves your children, you don't stay out of sight for long. You get in there and you say, let me help you. Let me help you. Friends, 
the disciples, they weren't calling for Jesus' help. Why? Because there's still a strong part of them that believed, we're good on our own. We got this. But nowhere in any gospel account or any part of Scripture as a whole do you see someone who's separated from God doing well. (laughs) Nowhere. Mark is clear that we need Jesus with us in order to do well. And so we, as his followers, must be willing to admit, we need help. We're broken. Please come and rescue us. My son and I did this the other night as I was tucking him in and getting ready to pray. Usually in the tucking in moments with younger ones, you sing a, a nice row, row, row your boat kind of song and or sing it as well or do something that, that just feels so peaceful and quiet and calm. And as we were laying down, the spirit prompted me. I just said to him, hey, buddy, where do you see your sin in the past 10 minutes? Where do you see you being a sinner in the past 10 minutes? He kind of looked at me and I was I paused. And I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute, son. That's not fair. That's not fair. Let me start. <laughs> Let me begin. And I went on for about a minute or two naming my sin, my impatience, my playing favorites, my selfishness, my ogerness for wanting my will to be done. Started naming it. And then my son just started naming his. His list was even more thoughtful and honest than mine. What a powerful and different way to enter into prayer. Because what we were doing was calling out that we clearly need some help here. And believing that Jesus was going to be there to bring his help, to bring his broken body for us. Friends, stop rowing and call out for help. Name your need. Confess your sin. He sees you. He has compassion on you. He's coming down the mountain. Call out. He'll come even if you're not asking him to come. Secondly, how else do we see a glorious God in a broken body? You see this in the middle of the passage, verses 48 to 52. See a rock who holds up broken people. See a rock who holds up broken people. Jesus comes to them just before the dawn while it's still dark out. That's key. And he does something that many scholars, modern scholars, want to refute. But the writer Mark, as confusing as Mark can sometimes be in using language, he makes something really clear here. It is written so plainly and clearly in the Greek that Jesus walked on the lake. On the lake. Upon the lake. There was no question what was going on here. Modern scholars want to say, oh, this is probably an optical illusion, or maybe he was on a sandbar or something like that. No, no, no. Jesus walked on the lake, taking steps on top of the water. Why is that so important? Because to the Jewish audience, this was a clear indicator as to who Jesus was. Because as our passage in Job, which Bliss read, mentioned, and other passages in the Old Testament mentioned, Who is the only one who can walk upon the water? God himself. Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples. It's what's called a theophany. A God appearing. Not as just a prophet who's being used by God, 
But instead, God himself in human skin. The one who made the waves is walking on top of the waves. They've never seen anything like this. In the middle of the darkness, in the waves, in the wind, in the chaos of the water, a glorious God walks toward these broken men. And their brokenness becomes all the more obvious as what happens. They start shrieking and shuddering because they're watching the worst horror movie ever. That they're about to be killed by whatever's coming toward them. This phantom that's coming toward them. These fishermen have been on the sea at night before, but they've never seen anything like this. This is not just a startle. This is one of those dreams that you have where your gut just sinks. This is the scariest thing they've ever seen in their entire life. They are scared stiff that this phantom, this ghost, this God of some sort is coming to kill them. Like Herod, a few chapters earlier, who was afraid of John's ghost, the disciples are revealing their lack of faith in Jesus, believing he's coming to kill us. When we see the gravity of God in light of our brokenness, we see our fate. We see death coming. Mark writes a confusing path. Again, another set of confusing words. He writes that Jesus meant to go past them. Confusing. What does it mean? Well, it's an expression that's used in the Old Testament too. When Moses wanted to get a glimpse of what God looked like, God does what? He passes by him. He hides Moses in the cleft of a rock, kind of protected, and God shows him his back as he's going away because seeing God's face would overwhelm him to the point of death. So God protects him and shields him. And this is what Jesus was wanting to do. I don't want to overwhelm you guys. I just want to give you a little glimpse as to who I am. And they just start freaking out. (laughs) But the compassion of King Jesus in hearing the shrieks of these terrified friends Speaks words of heavenly comfort to them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Take heart. I am. I am. Do not fear. Another way to put it. Cheer up. Yahweh's here. And you don't need to panic. Calm down. I'm the God of life. And you're going to be okay. The problem with the disciples that they were having with this vision of Jesus was a problem that many of us have in stormy spots in life when we're row, row, rowing our boat. We believe we're going to die. We believe God's punishing us. We believe God's making us pay. But remember, they're in the middle of this lake right now because Jesus told them to be there. Through the storm, Jesus is at work in their faith. Having a conversation with a friend the other day, about their struggle, they have a job change. And they're really struggling with their job change. And this is what they said to me. He said, you know what, Chad? I, I think I've, I've misheard God. I thought he was leading me to this other job to get away from the problems that I had with the first job. But the more I'm in this new job, the more I'm seeing the same exact problems as I had with the first I must not have heard God correctly. 
Our theology gets all wonky when it comes to storms. Is this the first time that the disciples are in a boat in the middle of a storm? Nope. Why are they in another storm? Because the Lord uses these storms to lead us to see our need for his presence to bring calm. What we need right now in this storm is not to row harder, not to take a different course of action or take a different job. What we need is a rock to stand upon in the storm. And Jesus is that rock. Why the disciples didn't recognize Jesus, why they saw him as a ghost and not God was what verse 52 tells us. It's because their hearts were hardened. And Mark says they hadn't understood about the loaves. Just out of nowhere, the loaves come back here. What does that mean? Understood that in order for bread to be multiplied from five to five thousand, the person who's doing it needs to be the one who has the ability to make something out of nothing. They didn't recognize that. They didn't understand that. But more than that, more than that, they didn't understand that in order to save people, broken people, from the drowning weight of their sin was that the bread also needed to be broken. They didn't understand about the bread. That a perfect sacrifice was needed to be made on behalf of the people. The rock that could walk upon the water was also the rock that would be crushed, drowned underneath the water. So that we could stand and live above the water. Instead of the disciples perishing, the stormy waters of God's wrath would be pushed onto Jesus He was willing to die. And they weren't yet able to see this until God promoted Jesus on his terms with a kingly sign above his head on the cross. Take heart. I am. Do not fear. You're not going to die. I am. What storms do for us is they remind us of our need for rescue A need for a rock to stand upon. Friends, where today are you treading water? Where are you row, row, rowing your boat, attempting to avoid death? And you're shrieking, I'm not going to be okay. Where are you believing that God, the boogeyman, is out to get you instead of God, the compassionate Jesus, is coming to save you? Take heart. Jesus is, I am. Do not fear. Let him in the boat. Let him calm the storm within you. As the winds blow outside. Following Jesus, friends, isn't about storms going away. Following Jesus is about faith that he is the only stable rock upon which to stand when storms come. One commentator writes, in storms, in adversities, in defeat, human self-sufficiency is revealed for what it is. Human insufficiency. We're not enough. We don't have enough in ourselves, but he is. Let the rock hold you up. Lastly, how else do we recognize a glorious God in a broken body? See a healer who takes on our sickness to save us. As we finish this passage, the disciples arrive at Gennesaret. 
And this, if you, if you knew like the ancient Near East geography, you'd be really surprised where they arrived. <laughs> because Gennesaret was on the direct opposite side of where the disciples were supposed to be going. It gives us an indicator of how severely that wind was blowing. But it also gives us an indicator that God uses storms as detours to put us where he wants us to be. And as soon as Jesus steps foot on the shore, what, what do you see happening? People go into this wild frenzy. They're bringing the sick to him. They're bringing all these people on mats who can't help themselves to the helper. They're bringing those who cannot heal themselves to the healer. Just touch the rabbi's tassel. Just touch the tassel and you'll, you'll be okay. Where have we heard this before? If I just touch his tassel, I'll be okay. From the woman who had the incurable bleeding disorder. Who had a mustard seed of faith that just a touch of his tassel, just a teeny tiny touch will heal me. Some believe that this passage about the people of Gennesaret is, is an indictment against them. That they're just using Jesus to get what they want. But since it's so closely tied to the faith of the woman from chapter 5. I think it's more about contrasting the unbelief of the disciples with the belief of this people. That here is someone who can touch the sick and the sick become well. The language used for healing in this passage is actually the Greek verb sozo, which can also be tra translated as to be saved. They were not only healed, they were saved. And how were they saved it wasn't just because Jesus was God that they were healed or saved. They didn't just touch God's garment and they were saved. No, if any of us were to reproach God or even touch him in his holiness, we would be burned up because of justice over our sin. What saved them was not just because Jesus was God. What saved them was God was going to make a great exchange through Jesus. Love is all about exchange, trading what's mine for what's yours. And every touch of the sick person's finger on his tassels affected Jesus. He felt it. Oh, power going out from him. That's why he needed to pray on the mountain to be reminded by his father what it would take for a broken people to be healed for a sick people to be healed. It would take a cost. It would take a breaking. It would take a bruising, a crushing, a laying down on the mat so that people could get up. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Can be said to broken people who feel unsafe and unsavable because Christ was willing to be infected with our contagion. He was willing to take off the mask, the veil which stood between broken men and holy God and breathe in broken people's sick air. It would be like Jesus was inhaling our contaminants, inhaling our disease and exhaling his cure. This was the cross, inhaling our contaminants taking on our sin onto himself. And this was the resurrection, exhaling with glorious relief the life and the cure that you can have. Your death, my death. My life, your life. 
A great exchange. The healthy one takes on sickness and the sick are made healthy. Just want to close with this. Moms, we'll be celebrating moms next week. Moms, you are amazing windows to see Jesus' depth of love for his children. My wife has a cup. Plastic cup with a straw hanging out our house all over the place. And my kids constantly drink from mom's cup. And it drives me crazy. Because they can be like snotty nose, (laughs) hacking up a lung, feverish. And inevitably, they'll grab mom's cup and wrap their mucus mouths around the straw. And mom's okay with it. Mom's okay with it. Because moms know the great exchange of love. My kids need the water more than I need to be healthy. I'll labor for six to 12 hours in dying, excruciating pain so that they can live, so that they can be born. My wife has taught me much about the exchange of love. Charlie has trouble with covering his cough when he's sick. And the other day he coughed in my face. And initially I balked. I was like, oh, Charlie, come on, cover your mouth. But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't balk when we cough in his face. He inhales it on the cross. Says I also was tucking him in a few days later and thinking about this. He coughed once again right in my face. And I just put my arms around him. Because I was safe and saved in the protection of Jesus. I can get a cold and I'll be fine. My glorious God, whose body was broken, crushed, and sickened, healed me. I can be safe and saved to put my arms around another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your work. Thank you for your work in saving us. In showing us a king who had compassion upon us, struggling in the water, and came down to rescue That we have a rock who can walk upon the water and say, get on my back as I go underneath. And Father, that we have your son to heal us as he inhales our contagions of sin and breathes upon us in his resurrected life, new life. Help us, Father, to trust in him and to know that in any storm we face today, we're safe and we're completely secure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.